0: The Winklevi escalate their fight against Barry Silbert and Digital Currency Group, causing Barry Silbert to have to release a uh, letter to investors. Uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, our favorite three-letter acronym dude, is doing more Sam Bankman-Fried things, so get ready to facepalm. And Coinbase <laughs> lays off 20% of its staff, while Binance is looking to increase its staff by 30%.
1: Bankless Nation, it is the second Friday of January. We're in 2023. I hope you're ready for
0: what are we about to give him, David? The Bankless Friday Weekly Roll Up, Brian. where we cover the entire weekly news in crypto, which is always an ambitious endeavor, yet we persevere nonetheless into 2023, which so far has been bullish. Has been so far, bullish. bullish. Numbers are up days. this week. 12 Bigly. days of green.
1: Yeah, We've got
0: some double-digit green, too.
1: We're yeah. going to get to that uh-huh. in the markets. Uh, also going to talk about digital currency group versus the Winklevoss twins. The fight has escalated even further. On Twitter, of course, because mm-hmm. where else do modern people fight? Right. Got to be in public. Got to be on Twitter. <laughs> we'll cover that. We'll, we'll tell you what's going on there. And uh, we'll see if we can draw any conclusions from that. What else are we talking about today?
0: Meanwhile, FTX discovers $5 billion under the couch cushions. Wow, that's pretty sweet. Uh, SPF requests access to his Robinhood shares in order to pay for his legal defense. You'll never guess what happens next. Uh, And then sadly, Coinbase has to uh, lay off 20% of the staff ahead of Crypto Winter. But Binance is hiring uh, and All then Ryan's right. also going to walk us through some CPI numbers as well, because we got that literally this morning, just a few inflation. hours ago. Inflation's deflating, inflation
1: down. So that's, that's good news, Inflation I think.
0: deflation.
1: <laughs> Let's talk about that in a little bit. But first, got to tell you about our friends and sponsors over at Osmosis. Osmosis is a Cosmos app chain that specializes in DeFi. David, you want to tell the Bankless Nation about this uh, cool app mm-hmm. chain and what it can do?
0: Yeah, it's the liquidity app chain of the Cosmos ecosystem. Uh, and so if you ever listened to our episode, uh, Why Unichain is Inevitable with Dan Elitzer, he gave the case as to why Uniswap will eventually produce its own application chain. Osmosis is the instantiation of that thesis inside of the Cosmos ecosystem. Uh, and it is perhaps a place to get started if you are interested in exploring the Cosmos ecosystem. You can bridge right in to Osmosis from Ethereum, Polygon, Binance, Polkadot, Arbitrum, all the all the highly places uh and you can do some things uh the normal things that you would do on any sort of decks you can swap tokens but because it's an app chain you can do some other cool things as well like liquid staking and other things like this so you know if you want to explore the osmosis universe and the cosmos ecosystem there's a link in the show notes you can go to osmosis.zone slash bankless
1: you know david i wouldn't have said this a year ago but um the cosmos DeFi on the cosmos, in the mm-hmm. Cosmos ecosystem has really matured, and mm-hmm. I think it's worth exploring some in 2023. At least yep. that's been part of my New Year's resolution. Mm-hmm. Alright, David, let's get to markets. We got the happy
0: music. I hope it's happy because oh, it's very happy. Bitcoin mm-hmm. is up. Tell me about it. Oh, it's, uh, it's up bigly. It's up 8.7%. Uh, starting the week at $16,800. Ending where it is right now at a whopping $18,250. 8.7% 8. on the week.
1: Is this uh, up on CPI? Is this up on macro? Is what? Why are we up?
0: He well, okay, so down. so if you look in the far right on the screen, you see that big red candle that goes from like eighteen thousand dollars down, like eighteen three hundred down that to below eighteen. Th- that was right the after the CPI numbers. print. So yeah. CPI print came out, and then it jumped two hundred dollars down, down two or three hundred dollars, and then immediately jumped right back up to where it is now at $18,250. But it's been running up all throughout the last week or so, and especially yesterday. Uh, this also happened to Ether too. Seventeen, it, it, w- it went from $17,400 and just zoomed straight up to $18,400 inside of like half a day. It's um, Crypto's kind of
1: following the market a little bit, I think. I wonder what the correlation looks like right you, now. You but, mean trad uh, market? Yeah, trad market stocks and such. Um, I guess just just more so. Um, well, maybe this was a disproportionately good week for crypto, though. Even 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 though uh, trad good, yeah. markets mm-hmm. went up. Okay, what happened with ETH price? That's a big story too.
0: Yeah, ETH started the week at twelve hundred fifty dollars, where it's been hovering around, being a, just like the twelve hundred dollar stable coin for the past like two months. Uh, up twelve and a half percent, all the way up to fourteen hundred dollars. It hit a high of fourteen hundred and twenty dollars, which was the high exact high of twenty seventeen by the way. There's that number again. Yeah, uh, uh, fell down. Did the same thing at Bitcoin. As soon as the CPI print came out, it dropped down to 1350 uh but is since recovered in that moment back up to 1400 dollars where we are now so up 12 and a half percent on the uh, on the week
1: the question david and i are about to discuss in a little bit is uh have we bottomed yet mm. think about that listener as we get to the next section but first we'll talk about the eth to bitcoin
0: ratio an important ratio in this market what's that showing uh, we are up three and a half percent on the week. It's been a very good week for the ratio. Uh, it's harder. So like moving it, the ratio is harder than the dollar. Like crypto prices move uh, very a lot versus the dollar, but ether and bitcoin they don't move as much in relation to each other. So 3.5% is actually like a decent move. Uh, we are currently clocking in at 0.076. Uh, we hit a high of 0.078. David, this uh, is not the,
1: the ETH of the last bull market of the last nope. bear market, is no. it? this nope. is a totally different this ETH. This is a and different different. ETH. I think we can see it here. Here's mm-hmm. ultrasound money. Um, a number you and I were looking at uh, earlier in the week was the supply change since the implementation- Oh my God, it's down 1,000
0: ETH in a week.
1: Yeah, so over the last 120 days, guys, ETH has only increased in its total issuance, total supply, and this is, of course, selling pressure by 2,000 ETH, right? It's not ultrasound, it's not deflationary at this point, but only 2,000 ETH versus what it would normally be and what it was in the previous bear market. We would have added 1.4- million ETH supply. And what does that equate to? David, run some numbers for me. What does that equate to in terms of, uh, um, dollar basically terms? Ra-
0: rounding up slightly to $2 billion,
1: $2 billion of sell pressure. We, we, just did, eliminated. Not, we did
0: not have, yeah.
1: and that was in last bear market. No wonder yeah. ETH went all the way down 94% yeah. and, yeah. uh, way underperformed mm-hmm. Bitcoin. Um, uh, mm-hmm different eth different asset mm-hmm. completely and mm-hmm. so i'm actually not surprised to see the gains on the ratio is, here. let's
0: zoom out on this chart really quick if you don't mind let's go out let's sure. go out really, really how far also, do you want to go uh oh now, now the candles are getting super Look, tiny these kraken uh, charts can do anything so yeah. we can uh, yeah if, if uh, uh, listeners are wondering you. these the sexy new interface is the kraken pro new interface uh kraken pro has really got a cosmetic upgrade lately so thank That's you for Kraken glorious. for serving us these ever important prices I mean, so we have a lot of time left to start filling out these this bear market candles. Uh, there's probably I'm, if this follows the like last bear market, we just a lot more volatility still has to leave. We're just going to like find a bottom. Yeah, we're look at this over there. here. Right. Yeah. On chop back yeah. in 2018. But I mean, if you compare those two peaks, like you can kind of tell we're at the tail end of uh, just like the, the depression of the, the peaks. Uh, they are w- here. There was this, maybe, like there was that one moment uh, back in like June, July of 2018, where like Ether and Bitcoin started to flatten out. Like I think Bitcoin was flattening out at 6,000, Ether was flattening out at like three hundred. And they're like, okay, fine. We established a bottom. And then the bottom fell out and we went down like another 50%. Um, So if we are trying to say that this is the same as last cycle, then that would still be ahead of us. But I don't necessarily think that that's ahead of us. I do think that ETH is a different asset this cycle. And it might be more apt to compare
1: ETH to Bitcoin. Of previous cycle than ETH to ETH of previous cycle. I I don't Mm -hmm. know if that uh, draws any insight, but like I was just looking earlier. So ETH is down 71% from all time high. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin is down 73% Mm. more than ETH. Mm. That's certainly not the case last bear market where uh, Bitcoin was surviving and Mm -hmm. doing okay when Bitcoin was, or ETH was completely getting destroyed. Mm-hmm. Uh very interesting. Okay, what about total crypto market cap?
0: Uh we're gotta we got to abo- be below above above 900 billion. So we were at, uh, finally not- back above 900 billion. We're at 919 billion. Okay. Well, it's been a while since talk- we've seen a 9 there.
1: It is. Uh let's talk about the inflation numbers. They uh came out earlier this week. They were good. December inflation report the headline is, Consumer Price Gains Continue to Cool. Here's the chart for you, um, David. Do you, do you see this kind of spike for inflation? This mm-hmm. is a fully zoomed out chart all the way from 1965 all the way to 2023, where we are now. And uh, we're down to 6.5% inflation for December. And that, of low, course, is- A low,
0: low number of 6.5%. Well,
1: it, it peaked in June, 9.1%. Mm-hmm. And uh, ever since, we've been going down, 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 uh, last month that we saw a report, November was 7.1%. Now it's 6.5%. The reason the market reacted favorably-ish to that uh, was because it was just exactly at what was predicted by the market. The street was saying 6.5%. We came in at 6.5%. This, of course, is still well above the Fed's uh, mission, which is a 2% Inflation rate. Maybe they'll increase that to three percent. That's what some are mm-hmm. saying. Powell's holding firm that the target is two percent. Uh, and then, of note, of course, before the pandemic, before all of this chaos that you see from 2020 onwards, inflation used to be two point one percent. Used to be the most boring number in all of finance because for the last like decade or two, it's always been like two percent. Never yeah. changed uh, quite volatile these days. What do
0: you think? Are we, are we done with inflation? So we just recorded our podcast with Tyler Cowen, which comes out on Monday. And he mentioned that, uh, we really need to see three months in a row of decreasing inflation to really, uh, feel okay-ish in confidence about the trend here. And he was, and we recorded with him a few days ago, and this was the print that we were looking for to see if it would continue to trend down for three months in a row. And it is, Uh, I think, and so he said, three months is what you need to start having some amount of confidence. So I think we are in the earliest stages of being able to have some amount of confidence about a downwards trend. And I think every single month after that, where we continue to print lower, we're just going to start stacking on the confidence and the confidence and the confidence. And that's really what it takes, uh, for risk appetite to come back. Uh, and so we are on to the first of many boxes that are checked, but it is the right step in the right direction. Well, let's switch back to
1: the uh, the crypto cycles again. Mm-hmm. So some people are saying there was a lot of leverage in the system, quite obvious, right. built up in 2021 and 2022. Uh, and now that leverage is gone. It's been washed out. It's been mm-hmm. flushed down the toilet. Bye-bye three Arrows capital and all of the margin <laughs> traders that got uh-huh. completely wrecked. This is a tweet from Jack.
0: Do you want to uh, tell us what he's saying? Yeah, Jack is saying over leverage was the theme of the year. It was really the theme of the entire bull market being over leveraged. But how much leverage remains in the system this year? He asks, despite major blowouts from incumbents like FTX, Bitcoin liquidations are down significantly in the second half of 2022, suggesting that the majority of leverage has been washed out. And that's probably also why we're seeing a lot uh, less volatility in crypto asset prices is that leverage is volatile. Leverage adds vo- to volatility. And now that like things are uh, stable, there's less incentive to take leverage because you can't really trade as much in this market. Uh, but you're just seeing a lot lower liquidations both on the long and short side, meaning that we are in a much more healthy, much more grounded phase in the market, which implies that we are closer to a bottom than we otherwise would be if we had a lot of leverage.
1: Well, let's just flat out ask the question uh, I, I did on Twitter. Has crypto bottomed? This was a results poll. 44% said yes. 55% 03 said no. So kind of spread Pretty even. Pretty even. even. Yeah. I call that even. M- a little more saying no. What's your answer to that? Have we bottomed yet, David? Have we seen the all-time lows of this cycle?
0: Yeah. I, I, well, I mean, I, when we hit below $800 Ether and like below $16,000 for Bitcoin, that I don't think we're going back there. Like Bitcoin got or Ether got down to eight hundred and seventy dollars or something. Like that, that is was the low. question. Do so you think we bottomed? I th- I don't think we're going below that. I think that was uh, in your predictions. I think uh, I think you're still like cautiously worried about a three digit Ether, and I still don't think that's going to happen. I don't I don't necessarily think we'll go
1: below the eight hundred. Was it like eight hundred something? I can't believe remember what the bottom tick was for ETH, but um, I mean I I that that's. Something really bad would have to happen. Yeah, it would have to be, to be another event. I mean, like, go back and look how strong ETH is from a from a supply perspective, right? Um, it would have to be something that utterly shakes the confidence of existing holders. And
0: I can't actually think about what that would be. Um, it would, it about, would ha- if like Coinbase would have to go insolvent or Binance would have to go insolvent or something like that.
1: I mean, I really do feel like, and we'll talk about this a little bit later that, um, the digital currency group piece is the last bit of contagion. That's yeah. really where we ended the year. And and that still feels kind of, uh, to be the case, but
0: can you make, um, you know, so Ether, so Ether I, bottomed at $880, by the way,
1: I am also going to, I guess I'm making things less interesting by agreeing with you. But like I'm also going to say crypto-bottomed. Now, that doesn't mean we're not in for a lot of chop and a lot of stagnation and this whole apathy phase ahead. I still think that's in store. Um, but can you make the, uh, the steel man the argument that um, crypto has not bottomed yet? What would somebody who is still bearish on crypto say? What do you think would be their, their main um, arguments here?
0: Uh, I'm not going to be very good at this. Uh, there's the, uh, the, you, you had the complacency bottom. First, we had like the leverage and flush out bottom, which we think happened. And then you were talking about a complacency bottom or like, sweet. Now crypto is going to be boring for like two years in a row. And people are going to be frustrated that nothing exciting is happening in the crypto markets. And then like just in two years down, people and... are just like, this is boring. I'm out. Uh, years, there's some yeah. opportunity elsewhere. And so people sell for the complacency bottom that marks the, actually the beginning of the next bull market. I think there's that, but I don't. Again, I don't give much credence to that. And then, and then there's like there's actually more contagion that we really know about. When DCG, it's totally gonna go under. They're gonna sell everything that they got. Uh, that's gonna put a lot of sell pressure into the market, and that can do another round of cascading liquidations for over leveraged players. That would be the other case. I don't think that's gonna. Happen I think either. that I I think that would be the steel man argument. It's just that there's
1: this um, this apathy. Um, Mm -hmm. Drop and it's gradual, and it's over time. And that's in the, it's basically in crypto. If there's nothing new in crypto, that means down by default. Mm. If there's nothing new, people lose interest, it's down. And so you kind of have to bet that nothing new is going to happen. Apathy will will creep in over the next uh, year or two. David, Mm. I gotta say, I can't get behind the case that nothing new is going to happen in crypto. And there's
0: so much building going on. There's so much excitement. I mean, yeah, that's a big difference between the last bull market or last bear market and this bear market is like there's so much energy in pockets. There's totally. there's pockets of very strong energy, like the Arbitrum ecosystem. I've been hanging out with the uh, the the Treasury ecosystem, the smallverse. They are they're crazy, dude. They're nuts. <laughs> they have so much energy, and like they're they in during the 2018 to 2020 bear market. Like, it was just like you Ooh, and nothing. me and DC Investor and Anthony Susano and Eric Molok Connor Dow. and you we were like, That's and Moloch out right. was like the most interesting <laughs> thing that we had. There was, it was just like, uh, Hey guys, uh, how's your, Anyone new? how's your week going? <laughs> Anything new with you? Uh, eat this money, right? <laughs> ain't, ain't this money, right guys? <laughs>
1: um, this is a chart you put together and this yeah. is kind of a commentary on, um, on the cycle and where the, the, the last cycle actually topped. Can you explain what you're showing here, David?
0: Yeah. So this is a little bit of a messy chart, uh, but that's because I had to layer the same charts upon each other over and over and over again. Um, but so the only thing that is uniform about this is time. Uh, prices are not uniform, of course, but uh, all time lines up. And so we've got the Solana, the Luna, the Polygon, and the Ethereum charts. Solana is the main one that you see in purple. Uh, Luna is the gold one that's kind of invisible, but it's different color. So you can kind of see it. And it's also the one that goes to zero in so May of 2022. Just look at the shape, guys. Yeah, look the at the shape. Yeah. And there's polygon which is like the cyan color and then there's uh, ethereum which is the normal coin gecko blue color in the very background and you you can kind of just see the the progress of the bull market uh go on uh if it was if we've said it before it was ethereum's show for the all of 2021 and then the first half of 2022 uh, and that is where I am like hovering my cursor over it right now you can't really mm-hmm. see it because my cursor is white yeah Ryan's got it uh, that 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 peak right there that was th- it was Ethereum's bull market uh, and that's also when gas fees hit like $600 and people newcomers were like I'm so excited about crypto but I can't use Ethereum what else can I do uh, and that's when Solana started its bull run it's also when Polygon started its bull run uh, and so then that's when Solana hit all-time highs at around the same Time, ether hit all time highs four thousand uh, like nine hundred dollars. Solana it hit its all time highs of like something like two fifty, uh, and then Polygon not or excuse me, um, Luna not too long after that, a few months after that hit its all time highs and then went to zero immediately after hitting all time highs. Uh, I just think it's a nice way to kind of do an audit as to how these markets progressed.
1: Well, this is what Vance Spencer Spencer called everything after something like April or May of twenty twenty one is was the low conviction rally. Yeah. Right? So we had first we had the high conviction rally that you see kind mm-hmm. of up to here and I it fe- felt like that lasted through kind of like March of 2021.
0: Like And that was a lot of like bear market OGs like us saying yes. like everything that's happening right now makes sense. Oh
1: dude, I remember for for months before I would just tweet mm-hmm. out on the regular like ETH is stupidly ETH. underpriced. Right. Right. And yeah. I just hit like it's still stupid. It's three hundred. Yeah. It's still stupid. Uh like I would keep doing that. And I kept tweeting until about Now that I recall, until about like ETH was above a thousand until like March of Uh of 2021. And then I stopped tweeting that, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But like that felt real to me. Uh Everything after this was like a narrative, clearly a lot of margin. It was a lot of like kind of greed. It was the market getting carried away. Wait, they call this the exuberance phase. This is not, this is not particular to crypto. This happens in every single market where human psychology is involved, which is all markets. Uh And so um, I don't think the market was very honest past April
0: of 2021. Past $2,000 ether, which it hit in like April of 2021, I think is when uh, we got carried away with leverage as an industry, yeah. and that's exemplified by the fact that ether goes from two thousand dollars to four thousand dollars inside of like six weeks, and then it crashed from four thousand three hundred dollars down to like one thousand seven hundred dollars from in from May to June of twenty twenty one, and that was that was the first indication that like hindsight twenty twenty that this market is now based on leverage everyone is taking leverage. Yeah, and this is look, now a full-blown casino. It's
1: no coincidence that now if you want to buy ETH, you're paying like first quarter 2021 prices, basically, yeah. because that yeah. was back to the time when the, 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 the market time, yeah. made more sense in the pre-leverage mm-hmm. time. All right, Dave, we've got a lot more to talk about other than markets, of course. What's coming up next?
0: Coming up next, the Winklevii escalate their fight against Barry Silbert and Digital Currency Group, causing Barry Silbert to have to release a uh, letter to investors. Uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, our favorite three-letter acronym dude, is doing more Sam Bankman-Fried things, so get ready to facepalm. And Coinbase <laughs> lays off 20% of its staff, while Binance is looking to increase its staff by 30%. So all of these conversations and more, but first, a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors to help you go bankless. Kraken has been a leader in the crypto industry for the last 12 years. Dedicated to accelerating the global adoption of crypto, Kraken puts an emphasis on security, transparency, and client support, which is why over 9 million clients have come to love Kraken's products. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, the Kraken UX is simple, intuitive, and frictionless, making the Kraken app a great place for all to get involved and learn about crypto. For those with experience, the redesigned Kraken Pro app and web experience is completely customizable to your trading needs, integrating key trading features into one seamless interface. Kraken has a 24-7, 365 client support team that is globally recognized. Kraken support is available wherever, whenever you need them, by phone, chat, or email. And for all of you NFTers out there, the brand new Kraken NFT beta platform gives you the best NFT trading experience possible. Rarity rankings, no gas fees, and the ability to buy an NFT straight with cash. Does your crypto exchange prioritize its customers the way that Kraken does? And if not, sign up with Kraken at Kraken.com. .com/bankless. How many total airdrops have you gotten? This last bull market had a ton of them. Did you get them all? maybe you missed one. So here's what you should do. Go to Earnify and plug in your Ethereum wallet and Earnify will tell you if you have any unclaimed airdrops that you can get. And it also does POAPs and Mintable NFTs, any kind of money that your wallet can claim, Earnify will tell you about it. And you should probably do it now because some airdrops expire. And if you sign up for Earnify, they'll email you anytime one of your wallets has a new airdrop for it to make sure that you never lose an airdrop ever again. You can also upgrade to Earnify Premium to unlock access to airdrops that are beyond the basics and are able to set reminders for more wallets. And for just under $21 a month, it probably pays for itself with just one airdrop. So plug in your wallets at Earnify and see what you get. That's E-A-R-N-I dot F-I. And make sure you never lose another airdrop.
1: Here it is. Digital Currency Group versus Gemini round two, round three, round four. I don't know what round we're in, David, I but I two, do know. Two. Okay, Cameron Winklevoss tweeted another open letter out, this time to the board of Digital Currency Group, which, of mm-hmm. course, the board appoints the leader of Digital Currency Group, which is the CEO, uh, Barry Silbert. seems like there is uh, definitely a feud going on. Um, I don't know, David, if, if you want to pull out any colorful quotes from this, uh, this open letter. I will say the TLDR is, Cameron wants Barry fired. Mm-hmm. He says he's unfit for duty. Basically, and that the board should, uh, he's proven himself, here's a quote, unfit to run DCG and unwilling and unable to find a resolution with creditors that is both fair and reasonable. As a result, Gemini, acting on behalf of its uh, 340,000 earned users, wow, that's a lot, requests that the board remove Barry Silbert as CEO, effective immediately. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow! Shot across the bow. Actually, it's more than a shot across the bow. Maybe that's a, it's, a direct it's, shot. It, that's
0: a char- That's a criminal charge from Cameron Winklevoss to Barry Silber. And what what uh, the things that if you read this full thing, it's actually pretty uh, interesting. Uh, he's basically saying that uh, Genesis gave Gemini and Gemini Earn information that made them believe that Gemini was totally solvent. Yeah. And that was only true based off of misleading and fraudulent statements and cook accounting fraud. Kind of cook, thing. cook the books. Yes. And so. Whether or not this is true or not, we'll, we'll take an investigation into Grayscale and into Barry Silbert. But that's kind of what Cameron is saying. This is what we need, because uh, we, as operators of Gemini Earn, feel rugged because of misleading and fraudulent statements as, a, as of Barry Silbert and Genesis and Grayscale. Uh, and so he's documenting all of these things that he is claiming is true about Genesis and Barry Silbert uh, and putting this into a letter, which he <laughs> then uh, uh, released on Twitter. There's also
1: some righteous indignation here because it's not—it's not just Cameron and Gemini, but he keeps talking about retail. Yeah. Um, you know, thirty three hundred and forty thousand Gemini Earn users mm-hmm. who uh, effectively are out of money. Their their money is locked in Digital Currency Group, uh, so he's kind of shifting that onto DCG. Uh, not all is healthy in DCG world as well. So, w- what is this headline?
0: Yeah. So uh, there is a wealth management division out of DCG that is shutting down. And this actually isn't news. This was released uh, as intention from Barry Silbert um, not too long ago. But Uh, parts of the digital currency group are winding down. Uh, Genesis uh, is actually laying off a bunch of staff, and so they're doing a bunch of cost-cutting coming up for the the, uh, crypto winter, and of course they have that hole in their balance sheet that everyone knows about. Uh, So in the digital currency group side of things, they are just doing kind of the same thing that everyone else is doing, which is trimming the fat, cutting costs, retracting for the winter, um, and so that's kind of par for the course. Uh, Barry Silbert, however, did release a... Uh, in letter to investors, a letter to shareholders of Digital Currency Group, uh, and this came. This was basically in response to Cameron Winklevoss, although not actually. Uh, officially in response but like you know you read between the lines it's like this is being it was sent to out to
1: his share- shareholders technically but he's he of...
0: yes but it's been definitely inspired and <laughs> yes. motivated by being charged with fraud by the Cameron Winklevoss so he starts off the letter saying first I'm incredibly proud of the role that DCG and I have played as pioneers and builders over the past 10 years he then goes on to list a bunch of accomplishments from DCG he says I have fond memories of the early days of our industry working hard to educate fighting in the trenches with fellow entrepreneurs and investors Looking to gain legitimacy for crypto. And it's funny because he's been here for a while. I mean, so have the Winklevoss yeah. twins, but so has he. Yeah, uh, he he continued, and he's kind of like kind of trying to prop himself up. It's like, hey, I believe in everything I'm that I've done. I'm an OG. Yeah, I've I've been here working in the trenches. Look at L- this line: speaking at conferences
1: to rooms with three people, getting <laughs> snickered at on CNBC. Right? He's like, I am
0: deep crypto. He then continues in contrast the past year has been the most difficult of my life both personally and professionally bad actors repeated blow-ups wreaked havoc on our in- industry with ripple effects extending far and wide although dcg our sub- subsidiaries and many of our portfolio companies are not immune to the effects of the present turmoil it has been challenging to have my integrity and good intentions questioned after spending a decade pouring everything into this company and the space with an unrelenting focus on doing things the right way so this is this is the part that's like basically the response to Cameron Winklevoss saying, I am offended that I'm being charged of these things. <laughs> um, and uh, there's a, he then finishes this letter saying, I hope this letter and the accompanying Q&A, there's a Q&A in this in this letter, which we don't have time to go into, but is linked in the show notes. That explains other developments and addresses some of the speculation about DCG, some of which is reasonable and some of that is completely baseless and false. Hopefully this helps clarify our position. So that was Barry Silver's response.
1: We don't know the full truth yet, right? Um, the easy answer, it would seem, is if everything's going okay, can't you just give the $900 million back to Gemini Earn customers? Uh, it's I'm sure it, it's definitely not that simple, of course. Um, but we do know authorities are definitely involved. So DCG is being investigated right now by the DOGA and by the SEC as well. So I'm sure the truth will emerge Um, Yeah, but specifically,
0: the report says that neither Genesis nor DCG has been accused of any wrongdoing. So they are investigating and they have all the the Department of Justice is investigating along with the SEC, DCG, and they have said that DC, they are not charging Genesis or DCG uh, with anything of wrongdoing. They're just just taking a peek.
1: We're kind of in the he said, she said moment of things where like one of them's probably right or there's some truth in the middle, but we just don't know yet. We don't have kind of all of the facts in this case. So uh, I don't think this will be the last time we talk about DCG, but the the last domino has not fully fallen yet. Um, David, what else we got to talk about?
0: Oh, you know, our good friend SBF. Uh, So there's no real rhyme or reason to these flow of stories, so we're just going to go through them one by one. Uh, First up, the most comical one, uh, SBF uh, seeks access to his Robin Hood shares worth about half a billion dollars, 450 million, because he needs to pay for legal fees. Uh, So SBF is like, hey, can I have some of my money so I can pay for legal fees? Um, (laughs) Guess what happened, Ryan, uh, just a few days later? What? The United States government seized the Robin Hood shares.
1: <laughs> wow.
0: So the answer to that question was no. No, you cannot have <laughs> they're ours now. Yeah, they're ours now. Thank you for that half a billion dollars. In other parts of the Sam Bankman-Fried, I don't know, debacle, I guess is when you- uh, Titanic. Yeah, (laughs) Titan. Shit. (laughs) Uh, They found, uh, FTX has found over $5 billion of what they call cash, liquid cryptocurrency, liquid investment securities, and measured at the date in question, so the recent times. They found Uh, money. They found $5 billion, they say. Um, that's
1: that's the change in
0: the couch you were talking about. Yeah, exactly. The five billion dollars of change. Uh, have you looked in your couch cushions lately, Ryan? You might find five <laughs> billion dollars. Uh, importantly, so. in this uh, memo that they've released, it doesn't. They do not ascribe any value to the holdings of dozens of illiquid crypto assets, okay. which are holdings that are so large relative to the total supply that our positions cannot be sold without substantially affecting the market for the token. Sure. So they're it's they're saying that like they're tokens. not they're not counting the illiquid tokens that they can't sell, and it's still which five Im- billion, which implies that wow. That's that's five billion real dollars. We're uh, talking 40 percent, 50 people, people are, are not buying this. People are not okay. buying this. And so this is a tweet from uh, uh Connor, who I'm not familiar with, but he just says five billion dollars question mark. I went through every wall that I could find that FTX owns. The biggest positions are seven hundred millions of soul, mostly locked. 575 million of FTT, 371 million FTT of MAPS. FTT does yeah. not count. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Or a bunch of millions of dollars of other tokens that I'm not familiar with, $90 million of uh, WBTC. MAPS. Ma- maybe Oxy. they know something about that, that we don't. And maybe they know Ethereum addresses and other addresses that we don't. But if these are the addresses, then that $5 billion is questionable. So we are unsure. I think the jury is still out as to how much money was actually found. All right. Well, in, gr- in fantastic FTX fashion. So the same same Connor Twitter account says, my simple model is that the estate, the FTX estate wants a win and good publicity to talk about all the progress they've made. In my opinion, this $5 billion number vastly overstates what they could sell in an open market and improper, improperly sets creditor expectations of a high percentage of asset recovery.
1: Yeah, don't give us hope yet. Don't give yeah. any of the creditors hope. It's yeah. probably a lot worse than
0: that. Um, but they were very clear. We have located $5 billion of cash, liquid cryptocurrency, and liquid investment securities. That's a very clear statement. That was
1: very clear, yeah. Mm -hmm. I hope that would be backed by something more than we saw in those tweets. This is a tweet as well uh, coming out. This is breaking as of earlier this week. Prosecutors are telling lawyers connected to SBF, the fraud investigation case, that the case is so sprawling that it could exhaust resources of the Southern (coughs) District since it includes potential bribery, count them, that's one, campaign contribution violations, two, market manipulation, three, on top of theft and fraud. That's a lot of things. It's such a lot of things <laughs> that it could exhaust the entire Southern District's ability to actually prosecute these things. Uh, someone, I is think, that, uh, called this a DDoS attack.
0: Yeah, I bet you if you scroll down, you'll see Nick Carter. It's like, oh, oh is that... the, the old legal system DOS attack, denial of service attack. It's like, <laughs> that's like a, a loophole inside of the universe. It's like, if you can do so many illegal things that the court system can't fund finance itself to sue you, you can get away with a portion of them. I mean, you're still going to jail for life, but <laughs> they're going to with some stuff. Okay, well, um,
1: yeah, exhausting an entire uh, district's capability to prosecute you. That's crazy. <laughs> you are but,
0: so incredibly illegal that an entire district doesn't have the money to sue you so this happened
1: too spf uh, mm.
0: just tweeted this out it's a link to his substack spf
1: has a substack apparently now brand new um, yeah in the title of this article is "FTX Pre-Mortem Overview," and Sam just gives a, a complete overview of what
0: happened. An audit Did you from read his this perspective? I David? was skimming through it to see if there was anything new, oh but I think God. it was just like a documentation of all of the stuff that he's been saying on Twitter Spaces and all. Like all of Do you know what it was like- to
1: me? Because I, I haven't watched all the Twitter Spaces. It's just like shifting blame, right? Like so. Uh, basically, the first, the first, the second sentence here. At the end of the day, FDX is just somewhere between that of Voyager and Celsius. We're not that bad. In between Voyager and Celsius. Okay, look at all these. Uh, there's a lot of that conversation about being not as bad as Voyager, Genesis, Celsius, BlockFi, Gemini. It happened to all of us, all as a group. There were comments about um, down here, David, uh, you know, about how crazy the market actually was, the mm-hmm. 2022 market crashes. Um, he goes in this narrative, and he says, "Then over the course of uh, the year, markets crashed again and again and again. And Alameda reportedly fails uh, to sufficiently hedge his position until summer. Bitcoin crashed thirty percent. Bitcoin crashed another thirty percent. Bitcoin crashed another thirty percent. And then he lists all of the things that happened in twenty two. I'm like, yeah, it's freaking crypto. What the hell, you like? He, he doesn't know that, dude.
0: The, are this you was, new? Sam Bankman Fried with- yes, he the was a first cycler, boy trader. Dude. Is new." He doesn't know that and he, like, w- he was born in an up only paradigm. David earlier
1: in this, in this, he, he was uh, bragging about, and I don't know if any of this is justified, but, um, something about that, that like Alameda on the book should have had, um, enough reserves to sustain a 94% market crash. I'm like 94%. I mean, we've had those before, you know, right. right like you, yeah. Like, if that, <laughs> that's what you should expect, <laughs> that's the base case. That's not the worst case. That's exactly what you should es- expect, especially when you printed a bunch of funny money, bro. This was perhaps the most detached statement in the, the whole note that I read. Um, he said this. I believe that had FTX International been given a few weeks, it could have likely it could uh, likely have utilized its illiquid assets and equity to raise enough financing to make customers substantially whole. He even now he says, "I believe that if FTX International were to reboot, there would be a real possibility of customers being made substantially whole." He still thinks. He well, still this says goes he back to our conversation
0: uh, last week, where uh, like one take is that SBF actually thinks he's innocent and a good guy trying to do the right thing. If, then- I think he actually does think that
1: we've just given an incredibly diluted person like billions and billions of dollars and he continues yeah. to be uh diluted diluted yeah um mm-hmm. wow what what a lesson for crypto i'm
0: sorry <laughs> i'm sorry all right what else we got david
1: our third news item this week yeah uh,
0: sad news out of coinbase they uh, are cutting a, a fifth of its workforce they also cut 18% of their staff last in june so um, just overall big contractions in Coinbase employees. But I think this is this is par for the course. That, course, this happened last bull, uh, bear market. This is just what it takes to uh, be on the frontier of growth. That means that when the bull market comes, you lay people off. It's not like a mistake. Uh, it's not like a misjudgment as to crypto. It's just like, oh, the bear market's here. We have to cut. We have to cut costs. As a result of all these layoffs, uh, Coinbase says that this is bringing down their operating expenses down by 25 percent for the quarter ending in March. The company will also be shutting down several other projects with, quote, a lower probability of success. Um, This article continues with like general commentary about the tech sector. And it says Coinbase joins a chorus of other tech companies cutting jobs after going on a hiring binge during the COVID pandemic. Last week, Amazon said it would cut 18,000 jobs. Salesforce reduced its headcount by more than 7,000 jobs, which is 10%. Elon Musk uh, slashed half of Twitter's workforce after taking the helm of CEO. Uh, Meta, Facebook, cut 11,000 jobs, about 13%, and also crypto companies Genesis, Gemini, and Kraken also reduced their workforces. Uh, And the the last line I'll read here is, every company in Silicon Valley felt like we were just focused on growth, 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 and people were almost using their headcount number as a symbol of how much progress they were making, Armstrong, Brian Armstrong said, uh, the focus is now on operational efficiency. It's healthy for the ecosystem and for the industry to focus on more on those things. This to me is just what a bear market is. Uh, As prices go down, as things contract, you operate on efficiency rather than growth. These are
1: cycles. Things grew too fast and now they came down fast and uh, that's what's happening. Although... Although David, although
0: Binance is bucking that trend. Yeah. All right, or or, or or posturing at least, at the very least, <laughs> yeah, to say true, so. True. Crypto so,
1: Exchange Binance plans mm-hmm. a 15 to 30%, not cut, hiring spree mm-hmm. this year in 2023, even as rivals slash jobs. Uh, that's what CZ is saying, that they're focused on hiring and they're gonna mm-hmm. hire
0: another fifteen to thirty percent. Uh yeah. what do you think about this? Yeah, uh, CZ says that Binance needs to get the company well organized ahead of the next crypto bull run, and admitted that the exchange is not super efficient. Um, yet, who wants to You're hire hired? more? Might be some posturing. I don't know. Show strength. There's, there's. We've, we've definitely seen CZ posture before. Remember when we had him on, on Bankless, and, yes. and, uh, it was we were like, oh, this <laughs> the question we had was like cz sbf and ftx are buying everything under the sun like what are you doing and cz was like uh binance has first first dibs on everything <laughs> yeah. on everything we, he's binance buying the cr- has first dibs. he's
1: buying our leftovers yeah <laughs> he's buying our he sloppy said. seconds yeah <laughs> yeah uh,
0: so there's definitely some posturing out of cz that we've definitely seen this behavior before so far it has not been inaccurate and yet we don't know. We and don't know we don't one know. way
1: or another, we do we? Yeah. But uh, but uh, CZ has definitely been been kind of hard to unseat yeah. as the number one exchange. Yes, uh, so very much so. Praying for Binance's solvency. Uh, mm-hmm. All right,
0: what do we got coming up next? Coming up next, optimism takes the number one spot of transaction volumes across Layer Twos. OpenSea integrates Arbitrum Nova, which is Arbitrum's gaming chain, into the OpenSea marketplace. So the L2 wars are hot and everything is good for Ethereum, of course. NFTs had a crazy week. Pleaser Dow's is working with Edward Snowden. Rolling Stone magazine is working with Pussy Riot. And Game of Thrones launches an NFT. It's not great. Get your face palms ready because it's going to be funny. So all of that and more as soon as we talk to some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. Uniswap is the largest on-chain marketplace for self-custody digital assets. Uniswap is, of course, a decentralized exchange, but you know this because you've been listening to Bankless. But did you know that the Uniswap web app has a shiny new fiat on-ramp? Now you could go directly from fiat in your bank to tokens in DeFi inside of Uniswap. Not only that, but Polygon, Arbitrum, and Optimism Layer 2s are supported right out of the gate. But that's just DeFi. Uniswap is also an NFT aggregator, letting you find more listings for the best prices across the NFT world. With Uniswap, you can sweep floors on multiple NFTs and Uniswap's universal router will optimize your gas fees for you. Uniswap is making it as easy as possible to go from bank account to bankless assets across ethereum and we couldn't be more thankful for having them as a sponsor so go to app.uniswap.org today to buy sell or swap tokens and nfts
1: All right, guys, we're back. Uh The flippening no one was talking about. Optimism overtakes Arbitrum for daily active addresses and transactions per day. So this is Arbitrum still leading on uh, total locked value. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like an assets on the chain sort of measure, but optimism leading on transactions. What do, you, what do you make of this, David?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is just momentary. It's optimism taking the lead. We'll see if they can sustain it. I, I think I don't know how to read into this too much. There's a, a lot of more like analysis that really needs to go into why optimism is getting more transaction volume, but I think it does lend itself a little bit to the philosophical differences between these chains. Arbitrum is very, very DeFi heavy. Optimism and the optimism team are always really focused on like literally how do we build a new world, like a new governance structure, new organizational systems, new economies. And so the fact that the economy of optimism as a governance system, a two house model, and all of the, and all the real DeFi and NFT stuff's going on, that kind of tracks uh, versus uh, Arbitrum, which is more like DeFi and uh, NFT and kind of- uh, uh, I guess Arbitrum's just getting more finance use cases at, maybe, at this point? Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to get Ben on it. I, I think we should get Ben on why, on on this, like what, what about, uh, what's new in the optimism ecosystem? But those charts, the trend here, if you're looking at the screen- the optimism transaction volume chart is just like solid, rock solid up into the right. Arbitrum had a big wave and it's slowly come down since a peak. Um, I bet you these things with leapfrog over and over and over again.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting to see these economies emerge. Um, mm-hmm. OpenSea is now supporting Arbitrum Nova. What does that mean, David?
0: Arbitrum Nova is Arbitrum's second chain. So the first Arbitrum chain is called Arbitrum One because it's the first chain. Uh, Arbitrum Nova is the second chain. It's a chain dedicated to social and gaming. Uh, and so it's like a roll up, but with off-chain data. So there's other data dependencies. Uh, your data is not stored on Ethereum. It's stored with what's called a data availability committee, which is a committee of data providers that are not Ethereum. So there's different dependencies there. But what do you get from that? Uh, super fast and super cheap. Uh, and so this is Arbitrum's gaming chain. And now Ar- Arbitrum has two chains that are integrated inside of OpenSea. Uh, so hmm. just big progress. Big progress.
1: Yeah, uh, that is big. Um, what
0: do we got here, David? You're, you're calling this the L2 bull market. Mm-hmm. Uh, why? Uh, this is just a list of very green numbers of transaction volume across Ethereum and all the layer two chains. Uh, so in the last seven days, uh, 58% increase in transactions on Optimism, 42% increase transactions on Arbitrum One, Immutable 47% increase, DYDX 113% increase in transactional volume. Now, if you look at the numbers, the actual numbers are Ethereum 13.7 uh, transactions per second, Optimism seven transactions per second, Arbitrum two and a half, Immutable two and a half, D Y D X two and a half. So like still actually low numbers but these are just actual these aren't capacities these are what is actually being used and so the volumes are up uh but still have a lot more to go i expect things like optimism arbitrum immutable to definitely pass because they have the capacity to definitely pass ethereum in, in transaction um volumes i expect that to happen this this bear market this was interesting
1: too uh it looks like coinbase is maybe becoming a rocket pool ODAO member mm-hmm. Uh, Why would they do that? So, Coinbase has its own Ethereum staking service, Mm -hmm. of course, uh, internal. But they are also going to be working with Rocket Pool?
0: Yeah, so we, uh, Bankless is an ODOW member for Rocket Pool. Sazzle, Anthony Sazzano, is also a new ODOW member to Rocket Pool. What is the ODOW? It's called the Oracle DAO. Rocket Pool just needs uh, the Oracle price for Ether. They just need to, as a part of the system, they need to understand what the price is for Ether. And so they get that through the ODAO. Uh, so uh, people that are trusted and also put up a bond to, um, to report the Oracle price of uh, Ether to Rocket Pool. Uh, Coinbase is now being proposed as an ODAO member. And so uh, this is. That perhaps, doesn't mean
1: they're going to stake any of their, any customer funds no, it does on Rocket Pool. That is not but what that it means. it does mean they're getting involved in the project. Exactly. Then, is, and I
0: think that's okay. really the important point to take home. It's like the ODAO membership for Coinbase is them getting their foot in the door because now Coinbase has. Odao like governance, if you will, as in like they are part of the system. I think it's right. the first way that Coinbase becomes comfortable with staking through Rocket Pool. And if you've been in the Rocket Pool trading uh, channel and in, inside of their Discord, it's like one of the most high energy channels that exists. Yeah, they
1: probably think this is incredibly bullish, and that this well, means, this has uh, always Coinbase been staking is imminent.
0: This has always been one of the theses of uh, the bull case for. Rocket Pool. Uh, it's sure. it's part of the um, DeFi Mullet thesis or the protocol sync thesis, uh, which is something that we've been hammering into people's heads for as long as we can. Uh, centralized companies can use decentralized protocols for their services, and yeah. if Coinbase just stakes through Rocket Pool, they actually can make more money than if they just run their own nodes themselves. It's profitable for them to stake through Rocket Pool, and so I think this might be an early indication of that thesis playing out.
1: That could be cool. I mean, that would be amazing. We we also see like um, how much better would it have been if BlockFi, uh, for example, and Celsius Mm -hmm. and all of the other centralized lending companies used uh, something like um, Aave or Compound, exactly, rather rather than kind of these centralized providers for it. Mm -hmm. That's DeFi Mullet as well. All right, let's talk NFT stuff, David. So the NFT community seems uh, full of life. This is um, a new announcement by
0: PleaserDAO. Can you explain what this is? Yeah, and also disclaimer, I'm a part of PleaserDAO. Uh, PleaserDAO is working on a Web3 auction house. Uh, And so an auction house for the metaverse is at Pleaser.house, that's Pleaser without an E, in collaboration with uh, Edward Snowden and Daniel Ellsberg. Uh, Do you know who Daniel Ellsberg is, Ryan? I don't. Who's Daniel? He is the whistleblower that released the Pentagon Papers that started to actually turn the tide of the Vietnam War for releasing a lot of the back- channel comms in the in the pentagon that was like hey the vietnam war is like totally illegitimate that's daniel ellsberg right there uh and so um pleaser dao bought the edward snowden piece the the nft that edward snowden made that was in um about his whistleblower for the uh the nsa uh they bought that for four point something million dollars uh we bought it uh and that's an nft that is inside of the pleaser vaults um and now that the Pleaser DAO has created this auction house, uh uh, Daniel Ellsberg is making an NFT kind of how Edward Snowden did and is going to be auctioned out off today in a few hours. So yesterday for, for listeners, uh, hopefully it goes for a lot of money because all of the money is being donated. 50% is being donated to the Freedom of the Press Foundation, uh, which is also where all of the money for the purchase of the Edward Snowden NFT also went the four plus million dollars. Uh, and then the other 50% of this Daniel Ellsberg auction is going to the Daniel, Daniel Ellsberg's like personal foundation for also donations. So I think that's really cool. Very cool. Yeah. And I think you did a show about, mm-hmm. I haven't caught up with that
1: show, but it's on bankless with, um, Jamis yeah. mm-hmm. talking about that. Um, NFT artists, did you know they are launching on Instagram these days? Yeah. Uh, yeah. this is a headline from Coindesk. So top NFT artists are launching projects on Instagram and they're selling out in seconds. This, to me, David, is uh, somewhat detached from uh crypto native world, so mm-hmm. I, I don't necessarily see what's going on in these communities. Right. But uh, if you'll recall, Meta and Instagram added NFT functionality I first the ability to kind of view NFTs. Now apparently the ability to mint and sell NFTs. Uh, and they're they're selling like crazy. Um, I don't know what we're looking at this specific one yeah, that, here. That looks like a weird NFT to showcase, but OK. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh here's another one from Sandeep. So a lot of these are are based on, on Polygon, of course. Mm-hmm. This is one called uh, uh Acutars, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um anyway, what's interesting about this is there seems to be still appetite for NFTs. It's in a new platform on uh Instagram. Excuse me, Brian. Also- uh
0: they're digital collectibles. Yes. Sir? Sorry, 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 sir? sorry.
1: Digital collectibles. <laughs> and what's interesting to me too is uh Meta's taking like fifteen to thirty percent. On the proceeds Whoa, sales. All right. And creators are still doing it. Uh so guy bullish question mark. Yeah. Bullish digital collectibles
0: at least, not NFTs of course. Those are bad. Um I, I think it's going to be stuff like this and uh, the combination of uh Instagram and the branding digital collectibles, people are just going to get it. Like, oh, this is a digital collectible on the internet? That's a cool technology. When my Uh, tribe does it, it's cool. When your tribe does it, I hate it. Well, sure, (laughs) yeah. Your NFTs are dumb. Uh, Your NFTs on OpenSea are dumb. My digital collectibles on Instagram are great.
1: Amazing. Why? Because it's from my favorite creator in this amazing fan community. Uh And like, yeah, it's totally tribal, isn't it? I
0: think this is just like the technology of Ethereum Uh, slowly working its way into corners of the internet that already exist this is again the protocol sync thesis playing out and uh, this is also going to unlock new creators and new communities to have digital collectible powers and we're not going to hear about it on crypto reddit or crypto twitter like it's going to be new communities and that's going to be part of the vision of how this whole revolution happens Yep, the don't even know if they're using crypto. Uh, has always been the, mm-hmm. always been the vision.
1: Um, Lens Protocol is letting creators issue token gated content. So, uh, what do you make of this, David?
0: Uh, yeah, this is just following in the footsteps of other platforms that we see in the space, like uh, Mirror. Uh, any sort of content can be turned into a token and be created. Uh, but also, there are creating uh, tools for token gating. So, uh, posting inside of Lenz's token gating application, all that content becomes encrypted and only made accessible to users who meet certain conditions. Uh, having a certain amount of reputation, holding a certain token, being a certain, th- I don't know, thing this or is, person. It's really smart, right? It's so it's like,
1: simple. It, it's like the idea, you know, Twitter rolled this thing out. Um, I don't know if I've even seen it in news, but the, the idea that you can subscribe to different Twitter accounts, basically, uh, as a kind of a premium service and just receive their their premium-only tweets. Oh, anyway, yeah, right, 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 Substack has a similar model in that, you know, they'll send out free posts and then premium posts. Well, Lens is just doing, like, um, uh, token-gated mm-hmm. posts, right? Mm-hmm. Because none of these previous Web2 platforms are doing token gating yet. They're just doing simple subscription payments. And I, I think that creates a whole new incentive model It's really smart of, of Lens to, uh, to do. It's like a, a
0: Web3 native feature that only they can do. I really wish I could tweet out and have a tweet only be read by people with a certain like nft for example so if i wanted to like, tweet out to all my mfers to be like no don't show this tweet to anyone who doesn't own an MFR. right yeah that'd Would be, that really be cool? cool
1: that'd be really cool or like cool. just the bankless community Imagine yeah. there was
0: a bankless nft oh my god could um, you ima- imagine
1: there, there are uh bankless badge badge tokens of course which mm-hmm. are like our POAP badges yeah, we did, we we did nfts before
0: people. it was cool yeah.
1: Uh, digital collectibles, Did, actually. Well, no. Ours are, or ours are NFTs. Ours are NFTs. Okay. Ours can be <laughs> NFTs. Uh, what's going on with uh, Rolling Stone, Pussy Riot? What's happening?
0: Yeah. So Rolling Stone Magazine is in, working in collaboration with uh, Nadia, a.k.a. Pussy Riot, a.k.a. the dissenter who made a bunch of fun of Putin and then got kicked out of the country. Uh, and so just in the same vein as Edward Snowden and Daniel Ellis, uh, Pussy Riot is selling NFTs on the Coinbase NFT platform, Uh, in collaboration with Rolling Stone. So we got some two ETH bids for a collection of, I think, 11 or 12 of uh, Pussy Riot's pictures. Uh, if you don't know who Pussy Riot is and you're looking at these pictures for the first time and you're like, what the fuck? Uh, that's, that's a normal reaction. That's kind of the point. That's kind of her brand. I've hung out with Nadia a few times. She's, she's deep in the crypto world. She's also a member of Dow, actually. Um, she's, uh, she's a hoot to hang out with. Let me tell you. <laughs> she, I,
1: I, I, she's DM'd me before. I've, I've never connected with her, but she listens to some bank lists, doesn't she? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, all
0: right. We got, uh, um, she, she has a necklace that she wears all the time and it's just a dude big penis it's a penis necklace (laughs) fantastic (laughs) yeah if you didn't if you didn't know that (laughs) um
1: blue chip nft project moonbird signs with hollywood talent agencies uh what is this about
0: yeah i don't know much of this world Uh, uh what is it united talent agencies yeah yeah uh united talent agency is i think like a massive deal in hollywood it's kind of like the guild of actors Maybe it's like a little bit of a monopoly. I don't know. Uh, But Kevin Rose and the Moonbirds have signed a deal with uh, United Talent Agency to just promote the Moonbirds brand. Uh, And so uh, what does UTA bring to the table? This is from the article. They are 1,400 people with divisions in film, television, music, video game, sports, books, branding, licensing, speaking, marketing, fine arts, broadcasts. It's like a network of
1: influencers. Like isn't Is that what it is? I'm asking a question, actually.
0: I don't know. Um, uh, they said their job is to vet, broker, and execute partnerships and expansion opportunities across a variety of fields is yeah. to help promote the Moonbird's brand on a global scale and just and uh, trying to get out of just being recognized as a big brand inside of Web3. Uh, this has, I learned, also already been done by both Larva Labs and Yuga Labs. And so this is not a first in the NFT industry. Hmm.
1: Got to do it ethically with full disclosures, though, as Mm -hmm. uh, Yuga Labs learned, I think, recently. Um, This is Vance Spencer's take on it. What does he say?
0: This is a Vance Spencer take from back in the day when Larva Labs did this deal in the first place. This was August uh, of 2021. So over a year ago, this was raised by uh, Luke on on the bankless side of things, who used to work in Hollywood before we totally poached the hell out of him. Uh, And so Vance Spencer uh, says, uh, the Larva Labs UTA deal is great. But the bigger vision is to create IP with open licensing APIs where anyone can use the IP for anything. Example, UTA goes out of business and Larva Lab stops calling the shots. But then Vance finishes and says the blockchain unlock will be moving IP licensing from scarcity to abundance mindset. And so I think this is really the early conversations of the decentralized bottom-up brands and these are kind of the nfts that that i really like like mfers for example is a decentralized headless movement of branding whereas uh moonbirds in yuga labs and larva labs anyone who's signed a deal with uta is like hey uta make our brand better like ascribing mm-hmm. agency to an to an agency to make the brand better versus mfers just go wild make infinity derivatives just BMFers. Like there's two just different styles anarchy
1: there. versus like top, de- like centralization, yes. right? And like, I don't even know what's more effective. I, I think case-by-case, case case facts
0: niche. and circumstances. Yeah, each one's probably got its own facts and circumstances.
1: Um, I know that this, I <laughs> guess this is not an effective NFT. Well, I mean, at least for me, uh, Game of Thrones NFT, the Build Your Realm experience brought to you by Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we now have Game of Thrones nfts as if the show didn't already jump the shark now they're <laughs> getting on the nft bandwagon wow right. not have
0: good things to say about game of thrones uh
1: i mean what do you think of these nfts david do you have good things to say about them uh any takes here yeah
0: so i think what we're looking at here if you go back to the marketplace it, these are like yeah. packs like card packs like if you open them up there's like five <laughs> okay. of them if you hit filter in the top left yes uh yeah. So yeah. So here are the animations of the people of Game of Thrones, <laughs> and man, does it look like a cheap mobile game? Oh uh, wow! Yeah. Did you see? Did you see this tweet here, dude? Yeah. So it's, it's this funky donk saying, "I bought this for <laughs> 0.07 ETH. Why, might you ask?" Do you hate yourself, Funky? No, it's because I know art when I see it, and these fingers, that's art. And so (laughs) we are looking at an animation of this guy who's like, it's definitely some junior animator who's got some crazy spindly, like two feet long fingers that's (laughs) attempting to grab this spear, and it's just like missing, and the animation's all bad. Uh, and this its it kind of feels like a Kevin moment you, I mean, you remember Kevin yeah of course. I remember Kevin <laughs> yeah uh, but so how
1: are they selling David That's they, the they sold thing. out dude of, of course, course of they course did. they did
0: <laughs> how do they still sell out they're I even calling know. them NFTs I don't know people don't who's know. buying these things I don't know uh, but apparently, so there's a game that goes with these things. Apparently, so there's like utility. Maybe okay. they can. Maybe they can fix the animations. All right. Well, maybe David and I are
1: missing out on these fantastic <laughs> NFTs. Um, it's, you know, art is uh, completely subjective. Um, all right. What is backing a USDC? This is a tweet from John Paul Koning, who really follows stable coins uh, quite well. It turns out that 30% of USDC is actually blackrock Hmm. government money Hmm. uh so blackrock bonds i believe and this is up from zero percent in october so it happened really quick from zero percent to thirty percent that's about 13 billion dollars of usdc reserves those are that's the, the funds the collateral that backs the coin usdc when you use it on ethereum or any network uh, is actually managed by BlackRock. Mm-hmm. What do you think, David? Is this a good thing or a bad thing? BlackRock bad? BlackRock is a bank, and so we shouldn't want them in crypto? What's happening here?
0: Yeah, so John continued this thread and, and gave a take that I, I think I agree with. He goes, uh, Since the proportion of USEC reserves invested in the Circle Reserve Fund has risen to about $28 billion, He says that this is likely a win for USDC users because Circle is yielding some control over USDC's reserves to an external manager subject to SEC regulation, which ultimately Uh. makes USDC safer. Transparency improves since users can now get regular updates from BlackRock. And BlackRock is like a, you know, like a TradFi approved uh, institution, regulate, regulatory approved mega in, institution, mega institution right? And so it's basically an extension of the state. And so using a, a BlackRock as like a vehicle to put USDC inside of is what he's saying is like, this is just a good use of transparency tools and protections for users. And ultimately USDC is already an extension of the state anyways. It's dollars in a bank, so it doesn't make it any more centralized. So I think this is just layers of protection around companies that are very much the opposite of FTX, if you will. Well,
1: I think it's definitely regulatory protection, too, because yes. now that the, the someone like the SEC yeah. looks at Tether mm-hmm. and they're like, no, uh, uh, uh-uh. and then they look at USDC and they're like, ah, OK, BlackRock, yeah. our friends, yeah. the yeah. incumbents, we mm-hmm. know these guys yeah. and they're OK with USDC. I think that's yeah. what's probably going on. Yeah. Um, this was kind of disturbing and disappointing to me, David. Uh, this is uh, Ben Hunt. Um, talking about uh, BlockFi and Mm -hmm. specifically some of the leadership of BlockFi having cashed out during uh, the last year or so. Do you want to read this out?
0: Uh, Yeah, so this is after we got a report, a transparency report, uh, uh, from BlockFi and equity holders in the cap table. So apparently Ben went down this rabbit hole to just look at the data and he goes, uh, tweets out on Twitter, CEO Zach Prince cashed out 9.3 million from his BlockFi account, about 70% of his account in early April, 2022. This was right before the, uh, Luna three hours capital contagion. Mm -hmm. And then he cashed out another $850,000 in mid August, 2022 after, uh, BlockFi got bailed out by FTX. I think it was actually Alameda. Um, and he says he follows. Yes, I'm accounting for market declines in the assets. And so, b- cashing out seven nine point three million dollars before every all the contagion happened. You know, you, I think you can kind of give him the pass on that. Um, cashing out almost another million dollars after getting bailed out by FTX mm, uh, is a doesn't l- feel not, great. Not does it? so great. Not so great. Um, yeah, it's like <sighs> the, it's like the f- cost between like that is his money. Um, He's totally. That's his money. He's able to withdraw. He's able to press a withdrawal. He's button. withdrawing get the money. from
1: his own product, though his own.
0: Withdrawing, yeah. It's like lack of confidence. It's a vote no confidence, eight. right? Yeah.
1: And that right. in the second piece, especially in mid-August, right, and even yeah. the first piece in April. I mean, BlockFi. I guess I, had, I I think that contagion. was.
0: Yeah, I mean, an informed person might be able to understand the writing on the walls. Like is like he would be able to see like how solvent BlockFi was or not. Um, I I I think it's hard to not give him a pass on that one, but it's still it's still you know doesn't feel great. It doesn't feel great
1: when a whole bunch of people lost money in BlockFi specifically. Yeah, and Um,
0: the and the leader didn't.
1: Okay, well speaking of CFI, Nexo office was raided by Bulgarian police in a wide investigation. Uh, What is going on with Nexo, David? This was breaking uh, as of I think this morning.
0: So, yeah, this was kind of crazy. This is out of Bloomberg. Crypto Lenders office in Sofia was raided by Bulgarian police on Thursday as a result of an investigation into suspected money laundering and tax crimes. Mm. More than 300 police officers, prosecutors and national security agents are taking a part in this operation, uh, which was uh, stated from the Bulgarian chief prosecutor uh, who told reporters in Sofia. Nexo used to operate inside of the United States, but like a few months ago, they closed down their operations because probably I'm I'm guessing what happened was the SEC was like, hey, that's a security. And they just didn't want to fight it. So they just went offshore, started to be like some smoke out of Nexo. Uh, The article continues saying authorities are investigating London based Nexo on suspicion of money laundering, tax crimes and offenses involving unlicensed banking activities. Uh, Kind of all the same thing that I think the SEC was worried about.
1: Uh, Nexo put together a tweet thread, which was kind of Mm -hmm. like a defense of themselves. Um, You know, I I, I skimmed through this, and um, the the trouble with this, David, is you just really don't know who to believe. looks like this tweet thread was centered on uh, AML uh, KYC, Mm -hmm. and maybe they're kind of implying that's the reason that um, they're under investigation, Mm -hmm. uh, I suppose you'd call this. Um, But they said that they've always been abiding by the laws, now, David, at this point in time, I don't, I, you know, we're hearing things whenever something like this breaks, you're hearing kind of a uh, bank run types of, of murmurs, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but we haven't actually seen anything to indicate that, that, People are unable right. to withdraw their funds. Right. Now, that the, could change the, the quickly. the knee jerk
0: reaction is Nexo's insolvent, they don't have any money, but that's not what's being reported. What's being reported is tax fraud and banking right. violations. Right. I mean, where there's smoke, there might be fire. And I know, and I would suggest if you have money in Nexo to probably withdraw it. But I haven't seen anyone say, hey, I have money in Nexo and I can't get it out. I haven't seen any report like that yet.
1: I have some seen th- some things on Twitter of uh, critics saying, "Hey, Bankless, why did you ever do anything with Nexo in the past?" Right. Before, um, mm-hmm. I think it would we should probably talk about that yeah. and address yeah. that. And Bankless listeners, longtime Bankless listeners, might remember a stint that we did with Nexo as a, a sponsor of Bankless. They actually booked a podcast um, sponsorship slot for the entirety of of last quarter of Q4. Um, we cut them short mm-hmm. after about six weeks of this. When there started to be some fishy stuff going on in the general CFI space, nothing by Nexo, nothing by Nexo. Nexo. Uh, We met with them. We told them, "Hey, we don't feel comfortable given everything that's going on with uh, FTX uh, in continuing this partnership." And we sort of we we cut them off there and then. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say retrospectively, and we've we've kind of talked about this uh, in general. Partnering with Nexo at that time in Q4 was definitely a mistake, right? Um, I think that uh, our feeling going into it was not all centralized lending companies are bad. There Mm -hmm. are some good ones, aren't there? Mm -hmm. Um, There have to be. Uh, Nexo had just come through the gauntlet of Theros Capital getting destroyed and BlockFi getting destroyed and Celsius getting destroyed. Uh, And they were actually like talking about acquiring other companies. right? it felt like a reasonably safe, like if you go in with eyes wide open and you understand that giving up your private keys means giving up your coins, but you're willing to do that, you do your own due diligence, uh, it seemed like they they might be able to make it. And look, they still might. Um, but I've gotta say, this doesn't make me feel good That they have been associated with the Bankless brand, like you don't like to see one of your um, one of the sponsors of your podcast being raided by the police for for
0: tax and money laundering. Yeah, not great. Exactly. Uh,
1: So even though the scope of their ad was like short and very limited, um, I gotta say, I mean, I think you and I have talked about this, and and Mm -hmm. we regret it. Um, We wouldn't do it again. I mean, I think there were some lessons learned in in sort of all CFI lenders. Uh, coming out of of twenty twenty two, and it's it's something that like very few of them are on solid ground. If any of them are on solid ground, um, I will say if you kind of like zoom out and look at the discernment we've had on sponsors just in general. Um, I felt pretty good about yeah. our discernment with picking sponsors yeah. up until this point. <laughs> you yeah. know, like um, this is an industry that's incredibly hard to navigate, right? Like you know how we end every podcast with like crypto is risky you could lose everything um even picking sponsors like we don't know risky, yeah. which ones might have smart contract bugs or shady mm-hmm. sp- uh, you know found- uh, founders and we try to do our best uh in this case i think this was a, a probably a big fat fail and i definitely regret it um and mm-hmm. so apologies to anyone we may have let down with this one Uh, you could tell like David and I are not perfect. Uh, -hmm. we do try our best. Um, we, we hope, and we think that the good outweighs the bad generally on bankless. I would take this one back if, if we could. And, Mm -hmm. uh, I I hope you guys know we're not going to get everything right on bankless, but we're going to continue to, to do our best. I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that, David.
0: Yeah. I just trying to put myself back into the shoes that we were going into Q3, Q4, 2022 was when we signed on, on Nexo. Uh, like of course the, the taste of centralized borrowing and lending desks weren't was not good at that time, and so like it was it was a conversation that we had like is is this the right sponsor, and using the calculus of like well Nexo wanted to buy everything that Celsius would give them uh, uh, before they got outbid by FTX, and so to me that was like oh that's the, we just went through the acid test of who who was over leveraged and who was responsible, and Nexo kind of seemed like the responsible one. Um, so now, now that we have more information, turns out that that was incorrect. What was so crazy about it Dave, is David's like,
1: all of them failed.
0: Yeah. Like that's, not that's one of the them. unreal thing is like not one borrowing and lending desk made it through 2022. They yeah. all blew up. And I was hopeful that there would still be some kind of
1: good guys, uh, there that were able to make it. And there just haven't been, mm-hmm. uh, anyway, we are leveling up. We're learning from this experience. I think as an industry, we're learning from this, do not expect us to support any centralized lending companies uh, in 2023, probably ever again, unless Mm -hmm. we get some sort of proof of reserve system down And uh, we are being much more discerning. We're not going as fast when it comes to sponsor selection and uh, we're adding some new due diligence to the process.
0: Yeah, and I think the last thing I'll say on this is like this whole 2022, like aside from like centralized companies blowing up was a massive lesson for, I think for all of the industry and definitely me as well, is the combination of just like, well, interest rates are very, a very big deal as it turns out, but also the idea of like how toxic yield is when it's like paired with a borrower on the other side and but that's like you know there's all there's a bunch of borrow money markets are a thing in tradfi and they totally work in tradfi too but it's the combination of like money markets uh you know Gemini earn Genesis like all that stuff and then on the what is downstream of that which I did not appreciate until after all of this contagion happened was like Thousand APY pool twos and funny money printed out of thin air, and basically the entire bull market, which was just like high yield and funny money. And then when all of those pool twos dried up and went to zero, like that just slowly worked through the system. And it didn't. It didn't really matter how responsible you were as a as a money market. It was there was too much hot air in the entire industry, and so every single centralized lender lender went insolvent and that's just like a, a lesson in economics that me and I think the entire industry learned this year.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Well, speaking of of which, I guess as we're long as so we're talking about investigation, <laughs> uh, who is this guy? Right. I remember him from mm-hmm. some time last year. But uh, the stablecoin exchange uh, Saber mm-hmm. is under investigation by the DOGA as well. Who's this guy? Ian, I believe his name is, and Dylan. Are they twin? Are they brothers? Uh, I th-
0: yes, I think they're brothers. Yeah, we reported on this a while ago. You right. remember the story of the one or two like Solana developers that spun up and soft puppeted oh, yes. like. 12 different accounts. like DeFi apps on That's solana right. and it, it triggered a bunch of tvl and it was like responsible it got for, lost like,
1: in all the scams last year i'm right. sorry i just yes. forgot this one yes
0: right this was this was the one developer who was actually like 11 different pseudonymous developers that created all these like financial interlocking protocols that double and triple accounting uh counted uh, crypto deposits and it like inflated the solana tvl by like that guy, that guy, those two brothers are the, that's what we're talking about. Uh, Those two brothers are under investigation. So surprise. (laughs) That's great. That's that's the story.
1: One note on races, of course, is that uh, startup funding levels are now their lowest Mm -hmm. in almost two years. So VCs is about a 75% drop from last year in terms of funding activity. Look, I think that's a very healthy thing yeah, because the private time. valuations in crypto that, um, that were out there and that we were seeing were absolutely Nuts. crazy. Yeah. And so they needed some cooling down. Um, and I think this is bullish and also not surprising. You have anything more to say on that?
0: The numbers here is that VC firms invested $2.3 billion in crypto startups during this last quarter a good number not a bad number uh but that is a 75 percent drop from the same period previous year mm. so like one interpretation is like oh vc funding is totally dried up i think that's actually the wrong angle you should it's say like, healthy vc funding was insane a year ago yeah and now it's it was, now it's just healthy yeah
1: it's, it was bad now and now it's now it's much better yeah um Speak of which there's still investment going on in crypto and there are still jobs to be had in crypto in particular bankless is hiring. We are looking for a director of business development. We got some sales experience. Come on, talk to us. Work also, Uniswap Labs, senior software Woo. engineer, is a software engineer over dApps. WebSEA, also a QA analyst. You can find these jobs. You go to
0: bankless.pallet.com slash jobs. Uh, all right. What do we got coming up next, David? Uh, we're going to get into questions from the Bankless Nation. Uh, And this is coming out of the Bankless Nation Discord, which Ryan, did you know that we completely revamped the structure of the Bankless Nation Discord? I didn't know that. It's uh, looking pretty good. The conversation's
1: hot. What's going on? Uh, what's the talk for the Discord this week? And, and by the way, how do people get into that Discord? Because it's uh, you can't just uh, click a link, right? Uh,
0: yeah, so there, there will be one soon, but there is a link in the show notes if you want to go into the Discord channel to ask Ryan and I questions, because every single Wednesday, before we record this episode on Thursday, we go into the weekly rollups questions channel. We at everyone and say, "Hey, what questions do you want us to read out on the weekly rollup?" Uh, and so uh, there's that. There's that channel. There's also a bunch of other channels. Uh, like I said, we completely reorged them. Uh, so there's a, a lot of vitality being injected into the Discord. And so Ryan, are you ready to get into questions?
1: Okay, so the first question is from Walshie. Walshie says, the first crypto conference I ever went to was Permissionless. I guess that was last year. Sorry to ask you, somewhat shill your own conference. I'm so (laughs) glad you asked. (laughs) Uh, But I had an absolute blast. It was my first real Web3 social experience. Everyone I met was so warm and the vibe is best described as welcoming and galvanizing. I learned so much by following your advice and taking as many people as possible to all of the talks and booths and meetings and everything else. What could we expect from Permissionless V2 in Austin later this year? And uh, where, so it's in Austin. Uh, When is Permissionless V2 and what can people expect, David?
0: Yeah. Permissionless 2023 coming in hot in uh, September 11th through 13th of uh, 2023. That's this year. So you got uh, eight more months to come. Uh, it's going to be a lot bigger. The, the biggest take I heard was when I told people that Permissionless was a first-year conference last year. It was like, what? Uh, which is, I'm super proud of that fact. And the I know the BlockWorks team feels similarly. So, I mean, 20, the second round of Permissionless, Permissionless 2023 is just going to be that much bigger and better because it'll be our second time doing this. Uh, so we got Eric Voorhees locked in as a keynote speaker. We got Mary Catherine Lauder from Uniswap. We got Justin Drake, of course, coming back from Hazu's coming in, Donnie's coming in, Zaki Mannion's coming in, and we're just, you know, we're eight months out, so we haven't locked in even all like the big super chat speakers that we really want to, uh, which is to say nothing about how Chad Eric Voorhees is. Um, and so I'm super stoked for for everything that we're gonna do. There's also this year going to be a hackathon as well, and so that is the sh- uh, shiny, sparkly new thing uh, out of Permissionless. There's gonna be a hackathon leading up to this, uh, which I'm pretty stoked for. And there there's one thing that I think people should appreciate about hackathons they're pretty consider they're considered dev oriented right these are developers to go compete for prizes but a hackathon with a non dev person who can communicate extremely well who can make a pitch deck who can present a non technical person i mean is Uh, super appreciative and devs kind of uh, often devs need somebody to do that that lift for them so if you are a non-technical person but you want to get involved in like very big projects come out of hackathons earnify what is now called bankless labs came out of a hackathon so there's a lot of opportunity there Uh, and in addition to the actual conference which is going to be some great talks i'm sure ryan and i are going to moderate a ton of them uh, there's there's the hackathon and then there's also the side events there will of course be the bankless meet Yep. Uh, we are organizing for the Inner Circle, If you for the Bankless uh, Nation Discord. If you are in there, if you're a premium member, we're gonna organize a meetup at East Denver. We'll be doing the same thing uh, in, in uh, at Permissionless in Texas. And also tickets are going on sale every single week. A new batch of tickets is going out, actually just went out. Uh, prices go up every two weeks. So the longer that you procrastinate and don't get your ticket, the more that you pay more money. So you can go, if you know that you want to go to Permissionless in September, uh, definitely get your ticket now. There's a link in the show notes to get that done. Uh, the way that it makes the most sense to get that ticket is to upgrade Bankless Premium, by the way. Right. And uh,
1: when you do that, you get, part of the, you get into the Discord we were just talking about, and uh, you also get 30% off that ticket. So it kind of pays for itself. Bankless Premium go pays list.
0: for itself because 30% off a permissionless is more than a year's of Bankless Premium.
1: Um, the next question is, with people in crypto companies having PTSD from all the cascades of liquidations, will people be less inclined to take such leverage risk next time? I hope the answer is yes, but at the same time, I wonder if that will make the next bull run less explosive. What chance do you think there will be a next bull run that does not bring new all-time highs? Are we going to get a muted
0: bull run? Or are we ever going to see all-time high again? What do you think about that, David? And this question is from Yeti77. Thank you for the question. Uh I think people will totally ape right back into leverage as soon as the bull market comes back. Part of the fact that we are not in a bull market, part of the fact that like prices are more stable, they're less volatile, they're also lower, is a symptom of people taking less leverage. Because when people take leverage, they mint money out of thin air, and then they use that money to buy crypto assets, and that makes the crypto assets go up in price. Uh, and so the fact that people aren't doing that is why we have settled down to these new lower prices of twenty-four hundred or $1,400 Ether and $1,800, uh, $18,000 Bitcoin. Um, th- we're kind of monkey brains. People that participate in markets are using their reptile brains. Uh, and so as soon as uh, people get bullish, people are not going to be able to think rationally. They're going to ape right back into leverage. Some of them will be able to make money. Many of them will not. Um, but... Uh, what does the chance that the next bull run does not bring new all-time highs, uh, depends on what crypto asset you're talking about. Uh, I won't consider it a bull run until we do reach new all-time highs, however. Uh, and the fact, the idea that ether and Bitcoin won't reach new all-time highs again, I ascribe 0% chance to 1% chance for Bitcoin.
1: Yeah. It's basically, if that happens then kind of crypto is dead, it's just like, uh, if you believe like it's going to hit another bull, bull run it the, like the, the contrary bet to, to all of this is like you betting against fundamental human nature yeah right yeah. to to think that another bull market won't play out like the last you know 3 or 4 in crypto it'll play out similar there the, there will be some differences it could be longer There could be different highs or lows but like fundamentally we're ju- we're just looking at fractals and we'll see the exact same fractal play out in the in the next bull market and if you if you think that we won't hit all time highs, it's kind of be- because you think crypto's already peaked. Is at zero? And if you think we peaked at how many? Mi- One hundred and fifty right. million p- people around the world uh, that own crypto. Mm-hmm. How many people are in DeFi right now? I mean, the population of a large city. I don't know, maybe five to ten million, something like that. Like it's relatively small. If that's our peak, wow, <laughs> I would be blown away, surprised. We we are just scratching the surface. Yeah, we're still in this early adopter phase, so. Um, you have to be patient. Here's the thing. This market will also test your your, your faith or your belief in that yeah. because you'll see some jumps and then it'll hit something and it's not quite all-time high and then you'll go back down and there'll be apathy for like yeah. weeks and months. And you'll be like, well, maybe it was all over. Right. Maybe Bankless was wrong about this. Mm-hmm. Maybe the thesis is not playing out how maybe I thought. Maybe
0: ETH isn't going to 10K. Oh, no. No,
1: maybe none of those things. It's you just have to be patient is the thing. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's coming from you have somebody who uh, has, we've been through a couple of these cycles. I felt mm-hmm. these same things. Mm-hmm. Um, I asked that same question that you're asking last cycle. And, um, I guess I just, um, I feel like I know how it's going to play out for the next cycle. Not exactly, but, um, I could, I'm making the bet for sure. Uh, David, we got another question from Zen mode. Uh, how do you think San- the Shanghai upgrade will impact LSD narratives? ST ETH dominance versus our ETH is the question from uh, Zen mode here.
0: Yeah. So this is definitely in vogue in conversation in the Ethereum land is, is like, all right, what are when withdrawals are unlocked, what's going to happen? Like, what are the narratives? Um, I think we were talking a little bit about, about this last week. Lido has a ton of ETH that is locked in its vaults that becomes unlockable. And so we are going to see how much of that Lido staked ETH gets withdrawn. How much of that withdrawals goes into other liquid staking derivatives like Rocket Pool, uh, Stakewise, maybe centralized providers. Hopefully not. Um, and so like that's what, like Rocket Pool super hungry for some of Lido's ETH. Like if you're a Rocket Pool bull, you think that that's going to become your staked ETH uh, inside of Rocket Pool. And the only reason why it's not already is because we haven't enabled withdrawals. Um, and so the, these the people are like, you know, they're all chomping at the bit to get uh, to eat at Lydos' uh, Lydos ether. And Lido's probably like, you guys aren't going to get any of my ether. Like, you, these are this is my ether. You're not getting any of it. Uh, and so this is really like the the fight that's going on right now.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to find some terms for people, right, to make this a little 101. How do you think the Shanghai upgrade? Shanghai is an Ethereum upgrade that is probably coming the end of this quarter or early next quarter that will enable people to unlock their staked ETH. Okay, so that's what the question is asking. Will impact LSD narratives? That is liquid staking derivative narratives for two specific protocols. That is liquid staked ETH and liquid staked uh, Rocket Pool ETH. Liquid staking is basically just like, once you stake your ETH, um, you have the ability to uh, then use that staked ETH as a token. Mm-hmm. Do other cool DeFi things, you can hold it in your wallet, you can um, you know trade uh, against it, so it's it's actually fully liquid, it's not staked, it doesn't feel like it's locked anymore. It's a token representation of that stake. And I do think you're right, David. It's just we've talked about this on Bankless. This is kind of a snow globe moment mm. for uh, liquid staking, which is like you're gonna shake the snow globe again, and then all the kind of the um, the snowflakes are gonna just fall in different places. Uh, I don't think it's going to be just down to these two, right? Uh, Lido versus Rocket Pool. Right. You mentioned a couple of new entrants. I, I'm aware of a slew of new entrants. There's as well. a bunch of startups. Uh, some are in stealth mode, some
0: are, are about to ship to mainnet. they all net. know yeah. this
1: date and they're yeah. hungry and mm-hmm. they know the market's going to reopen right. uh, after the Shanghai upgrade and right. they're chomping at the bit. So, uh, big opportunity Let here is why people begin. are excited? The games are just beginning. That's right. Yeah. All right, um, speaking of which, David, let's get to some takes of the week. Are you ready for the first one? Yeah, let's do it. All right, take of the week. This is from Lal. I will read the tweet out. Lal says, there are a dozen or so Nike swoosh level memes that could emerge from independent crypto artists in the next decade. Artists is leveraging the power of Creative Commons IP and immutable tech to compete with behemoth institutions. Here are a few in the running at this time. What are we looking at here?
0: So these are the Noggles, the Nouns goggles, the Nouns glasses. Absolutely iconic. They were in a Super Bowl. Coming up next, I actually don't know what this one is. Uh, This is... Cow with a shadow?
1: Not iconic for David
0: and I yet. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Uh, This is an MFR, which I'm a huge fan of. And this is XCopy, right? So these are some of the very identifiable, very decentralized headless brands. And this kind of goes back to uh, the conversation about uh, the the talent agency out of Moonbirds versus a headless brand like MFers. I'm a big fan of the headless brand movement. Uh, I think MFers- it's cool. new. I think they, MFers are so iconic and so recognizable that calling them the, the decentralized Nike swoosh brand of Web3, I think is a great take. Uh, that's why I put it in here. Look yeah. at that guy, uh, look at that guy, he's so cute. He's just being a little mf you know? He's like minding those, his own business, duping I, around I, on his computer. I,
1: what's cool about this is um, unlike unlike the swoosh, right, no one owns it, right? I mean, Nike owns the IP of the swoosh and they're gonna do the contracts with all the athletes to plus up the swoosh and make it cool. Um, it's up to these communities to kind of do that. It's, it's just a completely fundamentally new model that um, do you remember the take of um, the professor we had on a week or two ago and talking about copyright? yeah Brian Fry he's basically like NFTs may kill copyright. you may not need it any longer. And um, you know if if he's right about that then I definitely think something is going to emerge as a Nike swoosh probably even bigger. Uh, Chris Berninski says, if I had to guess, this rally has legs. People were so downcast near the bottom that lots are par- probably poorly positioned may end up chasing it They can't ca- if they can't take the FOMO. Doesn't mean we won't get a retest later, but a hated rally for a time makes the
0: most sense here. What do you think? So he is, quote, retweeting DC Investor, who is saying, I'd prefer if no one really trusted this rally. So people are going back and forth and they're like, all right, like Ether is up like a couple hundred dollars. Bitcoin's up a couple thousand dollars. Ooh, we're bullish. We're bullish. I'm definitely guilty of this (laughs) as well. It's back on, baby. But Chris Berniski is saying, if I had to guess, this rally has legs, implying that there's a real movement here. Like, people were overly bearish, and now, because we stopped going down, people are saying, well, if we're going to stop going down, does that mean we're going to go up? And that's what is happening. Uh, And so, Chris is just saying, people were overly bearish. uh, And so, this rally is real. Spike up. And then a retest. Yeah, probably. probably.
1: That's how it's played out in the past. So we were light on the takes this week. So I'm just going to ask you a question, David, that I'm curious about because we never discussed this. Um, Now that we're in 2023, we can look back and zoom out and reflect on 2022. Um, Do you regret it? Would you wipe
0: out the year 2022 in crypto if you could? This is very like deep philosophical question, I think, because like, all right, uh, would you go back and erase world war two? Like, would you go back and erase the kill Holocaust? baby Hitler. Yeah. Kill baby Hitler. I might kill baby Hitler. I <laughs> might do that. But, the, but then like, if I didn't, I kind of, my philosophy on this is like, okay, if I did kill baby Hitler, there would just be another one later, right? Like you actually don't solve the problem. He wasn't the problem. There was a deeper root problem, right? Like there was mob mentality in the twenties and thirties that created the space for that, right? And so so there's
1: a take like from history, which is like. Look, uh, it was inevit- something inevitable. Something like that was inevitable. I mean, the right. shape of it was definitely shaped by the person, but mm-hmm. there's some inevitability exactly. about right. the lesson that right. people need to learn at that time. Something right. like this.
0: So, like, who was the biggest villain of 2022? It was like SBF, right? So, w- would would I delete FTX and SBF? Well, like, sure, but then it would just create a like it would just leave the door open for a different person to do the same exact thing right? And so humans, we learn through pain. If everyone is feeling very in, uh, has a mindset of pain right now and loss because a lot of their hard-earned money is now worth a lot less, like this is a lesson that you are now going to learn. And if we didn't learn this as an industry in 2022, then we were just going to learn it at a different time. And maybe it would actually be even more painful. And so I'm not really one to say that like 2022 brought nothing of value. It definitely brought hardship, Um, You know that meme of like good times, uh, hard times breed breed strong people, strong people produce good times, good times produce weak people, weak people produce hard times. I just see us going through that cycle and you can't skip forward in that cycle. Like you have to experience for better or for worse all parts of it. I agree with that.
1: I I I just don't have a dissenting uh, opinion on that. I think 2022 needed to happen. It was ultimately it was uh, it was healthy. It's going to be good for us uh, long term. We have to kind of zoom out and um, with all of this stuff, you have to take the uh, the the bad with the good. Um, I I just look at the way we are entering 2023 and I contrast that with the way we entered 2022. And uh, the way we entered 2022 was very very deeply fundamentally unhealthy. It felt like kind of a just a different kind of community that um, was not in touch with the the utility it was providing to the world and was not in touch with its core values. And I feel coming into twenty twenty three like we've restored some of that. Yeah, it's more quiet. Yeah, we don't have the kind of the mainstream attention, but guess what? We haven't deserved it yet. We're still in the the you know, like the early years of this decade. So um, let's go and earn it. So I'm actually happy that twenty twenty two happened. Um, it's, you know, unfortunate. A lot of people got hurt. I, if, if you could win these lessons without that, I mean, that would be amazing, but I just don't think life works like that at least. Um, yeah, I just, uh, I've always learned through my mistakes and through, um, like, you know, kind of problems, as long as they're not catastrophic, uh, then, uh, then we can kind of learn and rebuild and and move on and, and be stronger. So, uh, yeah, I agree with you.
0: I, I didn't yeah. know what
1: your take would be though, but that's uh, it's interesting that that's what it is.
0: So the only thing I, I, I want to add on to this is, is this is, should always be a moment of reflection. Like bull markets make people think and do things and become a different person. Everyone's a different person in the middle of a manic bull market. Uh, And so you should think about how did that bull market change you as an investor, as a as a person, as a character? How did it change your personality and how perhaps did that impact your decisions to buy or sell? Like, did you did you FOMO into that NFT? You should have a self-reflective moment as to like, how did that impact me? Because we are going to do it again. And if you are not in more deeper touch with yourself, that because of this last bull market that we went through, you perhaps will make the same exact mistakes that you made uh, last bull cycle. Um, so that'll be my one my one message about that.
1: All right, man. So what are you bullish on this week, David?
0: Uh, well, uh, this is going to be a moment where I'm glad that I'm going first because I know that you and I are bullish you? Took on mine, the, didn't you? The, the same thing. yeah. Uh, so <laughs> okay. we just recorded this episode with uh, Wayne from uh, Spruce ID, which is the organization working on the sign-in with Ethereum Standard. Uh, it was a good episode, a yes. really, really good episode. Uh, I think it's going to be one of these episodes that like, embeds itself into listeners brains they're probably going to be thinking about it for a very long time about its implications and they're going to realize that they are here for the tech uh, because uh, i think the, te- the best take out of that that episode is that google facebook apple are just banks for our identity and our data so there's you got the banks of TradFi, but the banks of silicon are banks for your data and your identity uh, and this has all been a part of the grand crypto vision uh, first money then identity
1: yeah. Uh, look, y- you took mine, so I'm just going to plus one I know that. I know I did. Um, I'm sorry, <laughs> but look, our brains are in sync on this. I I, I think we we both feel that um, the time of Id- like for identity for decentralized identity is like is here. It's just like firing up. It's like mm-hmm. it's like 2016 again, the birth of Ethereum and smart contracts and programmable money. Now we have this decentralized programmable identity uh, type of primitive taking hold, and uh, I I feel strongly, David, that like. Identity could be just as important, just as profound, if not maybe in some ways more profound than than money, than taking back money. Uh, and uh, this is a technology that I, I think I I support. I believe it's it's net good for for the world. What's nice about this too is the signing with Ethereum. There's no bags to shell. There's no <laughs> token. All right. And like, right. how can anybody be mad about this? Uh, external to crypto, it's literally a net good. Mm -hmm. created, it's a public good, created as a byproduct of the existence of Ethereum. Mm -hmm. If Ethereum didn't exist, I don't think we could have a a decentralized identity tool like signing with Ethereum. And if, by the way, you don't know what we're talking about right now at this point, why this is so great, or why David and I are so excited about it, stay tuned for that episode. Mm -hmm. I think it's coming out, not next week. Next week is Tyler Cowen Mm -hmm. uh, on Monday, but the week after... I think is when we have yes. this slated, David.
0: Yeah, but it'll be next week for Bankless Premium subscribers who get the uh, early release. There you
1: go. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, you you tell us if you think it's an, as important as a, an episode and a topic
0: as we do. So yeah. uh, David, Meme of the Week, what do we got this week? Meme of the week. Meme of the week. I saw this one on Twitter. We might have actually done this meme before. I think we have, but since it was a CPI print day today, uh, we're bringing this meme back. Uh, and it's the meme of uh, the chad human looking at a monkey. The chad human is saying, "You're such a dumb animal." And then the monkey responds, "You're waiting for the Fed to tell you how much your how much value your anti-establishment digital currency will lose." <laughs> Like, uh, yeah. yeah <gasps> well, we are kind of doing that. We are subject to the gravitational forces of the Fed, aren't we? Um, but that's the system we're trying to disrupt. We're just not there yet. Yeah, we got a long way to go. Uh, stay tuned for the Moment of
1: Zen this week, by the Great way. Great Moment of Zen.
0: Hot. If you are listening to this on the podcast, it's a good song, but it is an even greater video. So <laughs> definitely watch it on Twitter, uh, which is where it's hosted. Uh, and that's that.
1: Well, I'll end as I always do. Uh, risks and disclaimers, of course, crypto is risky. So is DeFi. You could definitely lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Luna brought us crashing to the ground And the Fed raised rates and they kicked us We were down Voyager and Celsius Died with a whimper sound But we said GM, we said GM, SBF and FDX, Caroline Line, Axe and losses, a pump and crime, we didn't take Profits at the right time But we said GM, we said GM. Candles and heart attacks. Capitulate, forced to sell
0: our stacks. Through all the fat fingers and the hacks, we said GM and we said GM. You don't need help when the dominant
1: trend is up and to right like it has end There's when things go wrong that you need it.